Hello everyone, thanks for um, having me back. Um, yeah. um, thanks for having me back. Um, it's a re- real pleasure to be back with you. We really enjoyed it last time. And it actually means a lot to a preacher to be invited a second time. Partly because I know you guys better, but also because it means I wasn't that bad last time. And you want to hear me again. Um, just keep your two, finger, two fingers into each of those passages and we'll come back to them in turn. Um, I just want to start by talking to you about a woman called Lily Gaynor, whose biography I read recently. Uh, Lily is a lady from Liverpool who grew up in a non-Christian home, um, and she became a Christian as a child, as a young child, after being sent to Sunday school by her parents. And she had very little money growing up, um, but really wanted to become a missionary. Um, when, yeah, since she was young, she failed her 11 plus, dropped out of school age 11. And then became a qualified nurse um, and midwife. And with those qualifications, she made her way to Portuguese Guinea-Bissau in 1957 when she was 30. And stayed there for 35 years among the Papel people. Now, if you don't know who the Papel people are, and they're one of 27 people groups in Guinea-Bissau. And their language had never been written down. And this lady was, in the world's eye... And pretty insignificant. She was tight financially. She didn't have a good education. She turned down a good career in England as a nurse to live in a mud hut. Um, And she um, didn't speak the local language. And she didn't even have the approval of her parents when she went out. Um, For the Papel people, she was a stranger who couldn't speak their language. And when she arrived, she had a message which opposed the witch doctors, and um, the sort of local traditions of that people. Um, Yet, God used her. Um, God used her and she produced much fruit. She brought uh, medical relief to the Biombo region of that country, and so much so that people came from all over the the country to her clinic. Um, She learned Portuguese and the Papel language, Um, And she was the first person to ever put it down into writing. Um, She also translated the New Testament into Papel and brought the gospel to the Papel people and changed so many lives. And now, Guinea-Bissau boasts of one of the biggest national churches in West Africa. Um, It's one of the many incredible stories you could read in Christian biographies. Um, I'd really recommend them. They're engaging, um, often less theologically dense than a Christian book, and so often relatable. Um, You get to see the gospel impacting people's lives for real. Um, You get that day-to-day fruit of the gospel in people's lives. And you get to see God working and producing fruit in the world. Um, Lily Gaynor was a somewhat weak Person, a simple lady, but she produced amazing fruit for the gospel. But how does that happen? Um, as a church family, you've been going through John's gospel, where John lays down, lays out the eternal life which is found in Jesus. Um, John's readers, Jesus's listeners, have heard and seen the amazing claims that Jesus is making about himself, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And they've seen these signs and wonders that he's doing. And as we get to chapters 13 to 17 in this little series, we're zooming in on Jesus' last day before the crucifixion, his last night before his death. 
And Jesus, maybe surprisingly, chooses to spend it with his disciples, teaching them. Now, these 11 disciples, these followers, don't quite know that it's Jesus' last day and that he's about to die. But he's preparing them for his death, resurrection and ascension. And he talks about these in terms of him going away. He's preparing them for a time where he's not going to be with them physically. And Jesus getting his followers ready to live once he's gone. And we see that Jesus' followers in that period should be characterised by a spirit-led, self-giving love, which follows Jesus' example. Remember, Jesus washed his disciples' feet as a picture of his love at the cross. And his disciples are to be characterised by that same love. They've been sent to win people to God's kingdom with love. But they're to do that in a world that hates Jesus, and so will hate them. Jesus is preparing his followers to live in a hostile world once he's gone. And so the question the passage in John's Gospel is answering is how? How are we going to live for Jesus? How are we going to be fruitful in a world that hates Jesus and so hates us? How did Lily Gaynor produce fruit for Christ when faced with her parents' disapproval, a lack of funding, opposition from witch doctors? How did she do it? How are we supposed to be fruitful for Christ? Well, Jesus answers our questions in these eight verses that we read. Um, Thanks, Jeff, for reading. Um, And he reminds us who he is, the true vine, who God is, the gardener, and who we are, the branches. If we remember this, who Jesus is, who God is, and who we are, this will help us to remain in Jesus. So how do we produce fruit? Um, How are we to be effective Christians in a world that hates Jesus and followers? By remaining in Jesus. Let's look at these um, three reminders in turn. Firstly, Jesus reminds us who he is. He is the true vine. Open up your Bibles if you've closed them uh, and look down at John 15 verse 1 with me. And where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, we might know what a vine is. Children, do you know what a vine is? Can anyone tell me what's a vine? Yep, it's a type of branch, it's a type of plant. Does anyone know what it produces, what fruit a vine produces? Berries, yeah. Grapes, yeah, well done. So a vine produces grapes. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Um, These are familiar words to us, I'm sure. Um, If you're a Christian, um, or been a Christian for a long time, you or. If you've only just started looking at Christianity, by the way, if that's you, you're very welcome here today. Um, You've probably heard these words before. Um, You've heard these words, I am the true vine. And because of that, I just don't think it quite hits us with the theological punch that it should. Um, To the original Jewish hearers, this would have been a massive thing to say. You see, Jesus is using the imagery of a vine of a vineyard um, with deliberate reason. Um, You can't just swap the vine for any old tree. He's not saying, I am the apple tree, or I am the blackberry bush, or the bramble, I think it's called. Um, Jesus chooses this imagery deliberately. Um, The picture of a vine is a well-known picture used in the Old Testament to describe Israel, God's people. In Psalm 80, if you're taking notes, 
God is described as taking Israel out of Egypt and transplanting them into the land of Israel. Or in Isaiah 5, verse 1 to 7, which was read earlier, so if you could just flick there with me, um, we see God is preparing his vineyard. Um, He's uh, digging and clearing the ground. And he's planting his vineyard, building a watchtower. And he says in verse 7, if you're there with me, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Israel were God's people. They were the place where um, you'd know God's love and his blessing. Belonging to God's people meant belonging to God himself. Yet Isaiah also shows us Israel's failure as God's vine. When God looked for grapes, they yielded bad fruits in verse 2 and 4. He looked for justice and righteousness. And what did he find? He found bloodshed and cries of distress in verse 7. Israel was God's vine, but they failed. They weren't faithful, just, or righteous. So when Jesus comes and says, I'm the true vine, he's making a deliberate comparison. He's saying, I'm what Israel failed to be. I'm the true Israel. I am the true vine. Jesus fulfills fulfills what Israel never could. Israel was supposed to be fruitful and multiply. But Jesus bears the fruit they couldn't. He demonstrates what relationship with God should have looked like. He has a righteous relationship with God. And through him, many people can too. Jesus is the place we find relationship and closeness with God. Jesus is where God's wisdom and blessing and love are found. Not the people of Israel who failed. Not their sacrificial system. They were full of sin, they were corrupt, they produced bad fruit. But in Jesus alone, we can find a true sense of belonging to God's people, which satisfies our deepest desires and needs. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and you're the branches, in verse 5. So if you're here for the first time, maybe you're investigating um, Christian, the Christian faith, or have doubted or, or moved away. Firstly, thanks for joining us. And secondly, do you see what Jesus is saying? I am the true vine. Jesus is the one who brings closeness and relationship with almighty creator God. Jesus is the one um, in whom we can find God's love and blessing and a true sense of belonging. Not an ethnic group, nor an ideological following or another religion, nor even our blood relatives, but in Jesus. Jesus offers this life, blessing, and relationship eternally with God. His sap, if you want to continue the vine analogy, his sap um, is the life that we long for, the belonging that we so deeply desire and need. And if we call ourselves a Christian, um, is this how we view Jesus? Is this how we speak about him to each other? He is the true vine. And we are to remain as the branches, as we'll see in a little moment. But do we know that love and blessing and belonging in Jesus? We are united to Jesus. We belong to him. 
Come to Jesus, stick with him. He is the true vine. So how are we going to bear fruit? How are we to be effective in a world that hates Jesus and so hates us? Well, remember firstly who Jesus is. He is the true vine in whom we find life and a relationship with God. Secondly, remember who God is. He is the gardener who prunes fruitful branches and cuts off unfruitful branches in verse 1 to 3 in John's Gospel. So if you're still in Isaiah, do you want to flick back to John's Gospel with me? Um, John 15 verse 1 to 3 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I'm going to assume we're all somewhat familiar with gardening. Um, some of you might be avid gardeners, some of you might not. Um, and children, some of you might help mum or dad in the garden. Um, or you might just kick footballs and knock over their plant pots. Um, now I confess, I'm not a big gardener. Um, my wife probably does most of the gardening, but I'll occasionally do some gardening. I might go out in the garden under her instruction. Um, and for our wedding, my grandmother um, um, gave us a lovely rose plant. Um, and it's a bit of a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it's um, beautiful when it's in flower, but a bit of a curse because I am terrified I'm going to kill it. Um, yeah, it is terrifying. But it, by God's grace, is still flowering and has survived the heat in my manhandling. Um, but I don't know much about roses. But one thing I do know is that sometimes you have to cut off healthy branches to help it grow better and produce more flowers. Um, apparently the location and even the angle at which you cut can help with regrowth and flowering. Um, and that's the process of pruning. Um, it's actually a really important process. Um, you've got to cut some healthy parts off in order to allow the rest of the plants to grow bigger and flower more and to invest into those ones. <coughs> Um, it's a necessary process for the rose to produce more flowers. It's a necessary process for a fruit tree to produce more fruit. And God here is described as the gardener who prunes fruitful branches. God is the gardener who prunes fruitful branches. God prunes every branch that, is, that bears fruit so that, will, that it would produce more fruit. Later in the passage, Jesus tells us that we are the branches. We'll get there in a moment. And so God is pruning us. And the way God prunes us is by his word. That's what verse 3 is saying. You're already clean because, the word, because of the word I have spoken to you. That word clean is the same word used in verse 2 for prune. Essentially saying, you're, you're already pruned... Because of the word I have spoken to you. God's word prunes us. And if you trust in Jesus, he has and is pruning you through his word. We know that God's word prunes us and works in us to bear fruit. After all, God's word is profitable for um, teaching, for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. God's word is also sharper than any double-edged sword. Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. 
So God's word is like the secateurs and used for pruning. And so the branches will produce more fruit. As we read the Bible, it shows us what God is like and what we're like. And by God's spirit, it enables us to worship him every day. It helps us bear fruit. That fruit is sort of the everyday Christian godly living for Jesus. That everyday self-giving love for Jesus. As we're pruned by God's word, we will live the Christian life more and more for God. So pruning is really helpful, but it can also hurt. It helps, but it hurts. I don't think that the rose bush, upon seeing the gardener coming with its um, secateurs, sort of rubs its hands together and whistling with glee and says, Yippee, I'm going to get cut and hurt today. No, of course not. Um, Reading God's words may hurt. It should hurt sometimes. It should be painful when our sins are exposed or our misunderstandings corrected or our wrongdoings rebuked. And it may hurt when it shows us what sacrificial living really looks like for Jesus um, and challenges us in our comfortable living. When's the last time you read something in the Bible that left you uncomfortable? Do we ever allow the Bible to make us uncomfortable and niggle us during the day? That's God's way of pruning us with his words. It may come in our personal Bible reading, or it may come on the lips of someone in our small group, um, or at home, or from the pulpit. Um, Just let it hurt a little. And God's word will produce much fruit in your lives, a fruit of God, of a God-honouring life. That's why in verse 7, Jesus appeals to the branches, to us, as we'll see in a minute, to remain in him and his words to remain in us so that we can bear much fruit. God is the gardener who prunes fruitful branches. He's pruning us to bear more fruit um, of ordinary, God-glorifying living for him. God's pruning happens through his word. It helps, but it may hurt. Um, But God is also the gardener who cuts off unfruitful branches. You see, I think that's the easiest bit about gardening, um, in my opinion. It's sort of that bit I can do without thinking too hard. Um, I find it easy. I just need to cut the dead branches. And they look dead, so I can lop them off. Well, God is pruning his fruitful branches, but he's also cutting unfruitful branches from the vine. Those unfruitful branches in verse 6 are cut off, chucked to the ground where they wither, and then they're picked up and thrown into the fire. Um, That's how Ezekiel 15 um, describes Israel, the vine in judgment, for their faithlessness. Um, This is a warning which we mustn't skim over. Now, there are branches which are not attached to the vine. Um, Those might be people here who wouldn't call themselves Christians, who are investigating the Christian faith. Um, If that's you... You're really welcome. Um, And the call for you is to come to Jesus. Come to the vine. Find life in him. Find this relationship and belonging and union with Jesus. Belong to him. Be the fruit that that this vine is bearing. Um, Be 
in Jesus. So come to him. But Jesus here is speaking about branches that are attached to the vine and cut off. He's talking about people who might call themselves Christians. um, And for all intents and purposes look like Christians. But don't produce fruit. These are unfortunately people in our church, in our churches, in our denomination. But they don't know this relationship with God um, and this blessing from him. They aren't living a God-honouring life. This warning is for them. Be careful. God is cutting off off these branches of his vine. It's a stark warning. Now I just want to say at this point... Jesus isn't saying that we can lose our salvation. Jesus earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 37, said that all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus will hold his people fast and they will not lose their salvation. But if we think we're in, but we're not... That is a whole different ballgame. In his day, Jesus would have pointed to the Pharisees. Those people who looked outwardly Christian or Jewish, I suppose. And they would have looked great. And people would have thought they were branches, part of the tree. But Jesus is saying they would be cut off for their lack of genuine fruit. In our day, we can look at people in our churches who think they're attached but will be cut off. I unfortunately have some friends and that I know in Belgium, who hide behind this Christian label and think they're all right, but they have nothing to do with the fruit of the vine. If that's you, heed the warning. God is cutting off unfruitful branches. Don't hide behind a Christian label or a church attendance record or a family Christian heritage. It's not about saying the right things or doing and seeming good to others. And the branches you are kept and pruned are those producing genuine fruits of faithful Christian living. So we should look at our lives and see whether we're living God-honouring Christian lives. So how are we to produce fruit as a Christian? By being pruned by God's word as it challenges us and changes us. Because God is the gardener who prunes his fruitful branches, but he also cuts off. The unfruitful ones. And but finally, Jesus reminds us who we are, the branches. Look down at verse 4 with me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. We are the branches. Now let's just take that in for a moment. That immense privilege. You are the branch. I am the branch. We're all the branches if we trust in Jesus. What a privilege. The branch which draws the life-giving sap from the vine. We draw our eternal life-giving sap from Jesus. An eternal relationship with God. We are gloriously united to Jesus. How amazing is that? 
This also means we're corporately sort of united in communion together. And what a beautiful picture you have next week of that when you take communion as a church family. We're all branches of the one vine, Jesus Christ. We get to enjoy this eternal life and relationship with God together. And elsewhere there are similar images like the head and body image or the and cornerstone and building image, that image that we're one together in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are one in Christ. Does that ever blow your mind when you walk in here and into the school and see your church family? Do you ever gather with church family and think about how wonderful it is to share eternal life through Christ with all these people? Remember, these people are the branches. And we have an immense privilege to be joined to the vine, to be united to Jesus together. We have an immense privilege, but we also have an important responsibility. It's there in verse 5 and all over the passage. Our responsibility is to remain in Jesus. It's there in verse 4 and 5 and 7. And that word remain is maybe more helpfully translated abide or dwell, live in Jesus. It's that idea of residing, dwelling in Jesus. Like the, the branch dwells, depends on the vine. Um, it's less the idea of persisting and continuing, although that's a great thing to keep doing, but more the idea of dwelling, being attached. Let your source be the vine, be Christ. The branch needs to be attached to the vine, and so do you. As followers of Jesus, we find our dwelling in him. And we've already seen that this happens through his words. I look at verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, let his words dwell in you, and you in him. This is not automatic. It needs to be cultivated. And so this raises a question about how high a priority God's word has in our lives. And Jesus tells us to remain in his word. That's the way we're pruned. So how are we cultivating this? Have we made it a personal habit to spend time with the Lord in his words? Or for those in families, are you committed to reading the the Bible together as a family? And fathers, do you lead your family in putting Jesus and his words at the centre of your family life and decisions? Are there practical ways we can can make sure to remain in Jesus and his words in us? Maybe you could learn scripture together or learn the catechism together or put some helpful verses up at home to encourage you. You could sing these wonderful truths um, that we've been singing today to each other. And speak the truths of God's word to one another. And there's some questions at the end of the handout that you could chat about together. That would be a great way to start applying and what God is telling us. To remain in his words. Remain in Jesus and you will bear fruit in this world. As we remain in Jesus, we become more like him. We're being transformed in his likeness. This fruit of godliness grows in our lives as his eternal life-giving sap takes grasp of more and more of our lives. And a wonderful thing which happens 
and when we become more like Christ, is that we pray prayers that are more in line with his will. That's what verse 7 is hinting towards. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As we remain and dwell in Jesus, we start praying for God, for what God wants. Our hearts and our desires align with God's. And when that happens, God delights to give us what we ask for. This brings glory to our Father. This fruit of godliness glorifies God. We have the immense privilege of being united to Jesus, of being the branches who share in Christ's eternal life. And we have the responsibility to remain in him and his words. I asked at the start, how are we going to live for Jesus? How are we going to be fruitful in a world that hates Jesus, Jesus and his followers? How do we bear fruit for Jesus? And I hope that we've seen this, the beautiful and simple truth that we are to produce fruit by remaining in Jesus, the true life-giving vine. We're to let God's words prune us. Um, as the secateurs prune the rose, to produce more fruit by unsettling us a little bit, challenging us. Um, but be warned if you're hiding behind sort of this Christian veneer, but not enjoying the fruitful um, life relationship with him. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then please come and find life and belonging and relationship with God in Jesus the true vine. Be the fruit of this vine. You see, Lily Gaynor and other Christians in their biographies aren't superheroes. And they don't have anything special or extra that we don't have. They simply trust and remain in Jesus and his words. They have his words remaining in them. As you read these biographies, um, it can be very painful for them But they're being pruned and they produce much fruit for God. Some ordinary looking fruits in sort of Christian living. And some wonderfully great fruit for God's kingdom as people come to trust in Jesus and, and bear fruit for his kingdom. Remember, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I I in you, you will bear much fruit. From me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus. Thank you that he is the true vine and he fulfills what Israel never could. Thank you that in him we have eternal life, a relationship with you, belonging with you. Lord, thank you for his words that we can remain in him and be pruned by them. Please help us to hear the warnings and to stick with Jesus. Please would your words be central to all that we do. And please grow fruit in our lives, Lord. Please would we live godly lives and that and please you. And please would and you bring many people into your kingdom and through our ministry. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.